Welcome to the Snow Brains Podcast, where it's my job to interview the most intelligent people in the snow sports industry and pass their fascinating knowledge on to you, our listeners. I'm your host, Miles Clark. I'm a professional free skier, professional mountain guide, an Alaska heli ski guide, a UC Berkeley molecular cell biology graduate, the founder and CEO of Snow Brains, and it's February 5th, 2023, and I've already skied or traveled every single day since Halloween. I'm exhausted and tired. The season is shaping up to be one of the biggest snow years of my life, and it just won't stop. Tomorrow morning, I'm headed back up to Jackson Hole to meet up with some old friends in a snowstorm and see what we can find up there. It's been an incredible season, and I'm feeling very grateful for another huge snow year here in North America. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Alta Ski Area. There are few precious places in the world like Alta, an independently owned ski area since 1938. Nestled at the top of the Little Cottonwood Canyon, deep in the Wasatch, Alta is a skiers only mountain known around the globe for its powder skiing. With an average annual snowfall of 538 inches, powder days are a way of life. Today's episode of the Snowbrands podcast is brought to you by your Northern California Toyota dealer. Whether you're conquering the commute to town or answering the call of some freshly powdered slopes, the new RAV4 Hybrid is there for all your Tahoe adventures. Featuring electronic on-demand all-wheel drive and a 210 horsepower hybrid engine with a 40 mile per gallon combined rating, it's made for action and made for the mountains. Visit buyatoyota.com NorCal for more details and start your next adventure in a brand new Toyota, the official vehicle of Palisades Tahoe. My guests today are the operators of an organization called Vamanos Outside, Eduardo Romero and Wesley Heredia. Vamanos Outside's mission is to connect, engage, and inspire our Latinx families and community into the outdoors for all of Central Oregon. What these folks are doing is important, inspirational, and replicable in mountain towns all over the US, and we very much hope that's exactly what happens. Hello, Eddie and Wes. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing really hey. nice. Yeah, thank you. No, absolutely, man. I'm stoked to have you guys here. Today, I really want to dig into what your organization, Vominos Outside, does, how you impact your local community, uh, your local ski area, and your local ski industry in general. I also want to hit and touch on what we can all do to create a more diverse ski and snowboard world, essentially. Kind of to start things off, let's just jump right into what is your organization, Vominos Outside? What is it and what do you good folks do? Yeah, so Vominos Outside is a nonprofit dedicated to bringing people of color outdoors. And that's, you know, things with the snowboarding program. We've been rafting. We've been climbing. uh, We've had simple park days where we just take families out and provide activities and food for them. Wow, that's fantastic. And so when did this organization start? And who started it? So this organization started about three years ago, and our good friend Zavi, or Xavier Borja, started it. Nice, man. And, and what age uh, participants do you generally work with? 
we work with all age ranges. We work with kids from middle school, high school. We work with adults. We work with families as a whole. We try to get as many people as we can. Nice. And tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about your, your ski and snowboard programs. So at the moment, we have one ski and snowboard program. And this is in partnership with Mount Bachelor, which is the closest resort to, to Bend. Which and I should have, I should have said that already. You're based in Bend, Oregon. Continue. Yeah, based you. in Bend, Oregon. Exactly. Uh, and so we just wanted to bridge the gap of like getting brown kids up to the mountain um, and work with teenagers from local high schools. And all of them are, uh, at the moment, all of them are Latino. And yeah, I think we just we just wanted to get them up there. We started a program where we just they learn we learn how to how to snowboard and or and or ski. I mean, Bachelor already had a learn to ride program that uh, we just wanted to put these kids into that program because it's, it was already a solid solid way to get folks into into snow sports already. Nice. And you guys do some instructing uh, as well with the kids, or you mostly take them up and get them all settled with the organizations already in place? You know, last year, uh, during our first year, we I taught most of them for a few, most of the lessons. Nice. I'm, a, I'm a snowboard instructor up there. Nice. It happened for, uh, I think, four years now. That was a lot, a lot of work from, you know, planning everything to driving them to make sure they had everything ready. Oh, I uh, yeah, it was, so it was pretty heavy. I don't, not sure if I will do that again. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so I'll just probably just supervise everything and have the other instructors teach them. Well, that's great that there's, you know, other instructors and other systems in place that are, you guys can utilize as well. So I think that really, that flows really well. And, and when we talked on the phone before, we talked about you guys have a little bit more of a, a longer format. Uh, a lot of programs are sort of one time, you know, one day, two days, and that's it. And you guys have a longer format. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, most definitely. You know, me being a snowboard instructor, bachelor, and it's t- I mean, for me, it took me a, year, a few years to really decide that I was going to be a long-term snowboarder. This is something going to be part of my life forever. And so this idea of having a longer term just came out of that naturally is that, you know, if we put help these kids be at the mountain for longer periods of time, including like all day, multiple days out of the season and um, multiple seasons in a row. Uh, it just made sense to me and to us that they would more, more likely be able to continue that uh, after they're done with our program. And when they graduated high school. Yeah. I really like that. Cause we kind of talked about getting them hooked uh, and yeah. spending more time with them. So, uh, you know, how long is the program? You know, because like we said, a lot of programs are just one and done. You guys are are, are going for kind of the whole season. Uh, how long? When does it start? When does it end? Yeah, we start in January. And last year, we, we ended at the end of April. So we're with them for four months. That's and huge. we had a total of 11 or 12 days on the mountain. And the first five is lessons. And so, we, you know, we get them up there, get them ready for lessons. They do their lesson and we have a break for lunch. And then the rest of the time, we just practice on snow with them. And then after they graduated their the program, they get a free season pass for the rest of that season. And so wow. for like two months, we just, you know, the last, I don't know, four or five times, we just rode with them all over the mountain and we helped them get better and helped them explore more. So we were with them, you know, from the beginning when we picked them up till we dropped them off back uh, later in the evening. 
That's huge. Oh, yeah. so, so you're getting them instruction. And once they get on their feet and can kind of navigate the mountain themselves, you'll still go charge around with them. I love that. So that that's it. You're seeing a huge amount of progression. Yeah. Not only in the progression of, you know, of the skills themselves, but also the, of the progression of the stoke for yes. being up there and being, <laughs> and for being comfortable and also the progression of building uh, relationships with themselves as a peer group and with us as well. So we, we're seeing like the, the creation and of, of the bonds for the winter environment in general and skiing or snowboarding as a whole. It's like you were saying, we get them to, for more of the time, able to pass on that, that connection. Well, I love this approach. You know, we jokingly called it for the cradle to grave approach, right? So it's like, let's try to get them hooked when they're young. Uh, and then hopefully they'll want to do it their whole lives. Uh, and, and we all, you know, the three of us know damn well the benefits of, of being involved in this industry, being involved in this sport and getting outside like this. It's just so good for you. Mental health, physical health, everything, relationships, all of it. And you guys also uh, are involved somewhat too, because a lot of these kids don't have gear. So, uh, so you guys are very A to Z. So, tell me a little bit about the whole A to Z process. You know, how, how do you get these 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 young kids up there that don't have any orientation or gear towards the sport? As far as the gear goes, we've had a lot of help from the community. Uh, we've had donations, nice. and we've also had coat drives that were done for us. So, all oh, that wow. clothes that we that we've gathered. We went to the schools and we basically provided all the clothing that they need, like jackets, snow pants, any like underlayers that they need, everything. That's huge. And, yeah. then, so, and then boots and, and, and skis and snowboards and all that, you're just renting that stuff, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So bachelors uh, gave us free rentals. Uh, so with the Learn to Ride program, they, they come with free rentals and oh, helmets, great. snowboard, boots. Um, so we didn't have to worry about that for the first half. And then after that, they provided us with free rentals after. So it's, yeah, we had all we needed. I think we bought goggles because uh, they didn't provide goggles. But other than that, uh, yeah, and gloves too. So and gloves. Um, they kept we, losing them. Yeah, kept oh, losing gosh. Gloves. Yeah. Kids for sure, man. That's yeah. what I did. I mean, even, even to the extent that we made like little leashes for their gloves and it's still, <laughs> still lost them. You know? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, yeah. Uh, so between Bachelor, uh, ourselves, and the community at large uh, came through and um, were able to provide these folks, these kids with just about everything they needed to be comfortable at, at the mountain in, in snow. Oh, including you guys being there too, to, to add to that comfort, to have you know a mentor and somebody that looks like them up there. I love that. And so, so the kudos to the community, kudos to Mount Bachelor. And yet, what else has Matt Bachelor's role been in this? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. You know, so for me, cause I've been an employee at Bachelor for five years, and I've had a really good, really good connection and relationship with the ski ski school. So I was able to to you know kind of know the right people and for them to trust me, for them to and for me to know the system really to navigate this this all. Bachelor is really just to to support us in what whatever whatever way we feel is fit. And right now it's feeling like, yeah, they're being super supportive and open and really trusting us with with where we want this program to be. We just, you know, they ask us questions here and there and we state what we need and they uh they're coming through. That's huge, man. And and do you think Mount Bachelor, do you think they recognize how important this is? I think that's a good question. I'm not sure what, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what the CEO of Powdercore. <laughs> uh, knows or feels about it, but just talking to the employees 
uh, that we're working with, they are super on board with what we're doing. And most of the other employees we come across, we tell them what we're doing, they see us out there. They've been, yeah, super stoked about what we're trying to do. I'm not sure if anyone really sees the importance of what it, of what diversity in these spaces is going to have uh, on the industry, on on other people. And, and yeah, it's like hard to hard to understand. And I think people are starting to wake up to the idea that you know, there's a lack of diversity for a reason and what could be what could be benefited from from making it more inclusive. And then, and then we'll get into this more. There's a huge lack of diversity. You know, the National Ski Area Association, I just had their CEO on, uh, Kelly Pollock, and, and she's talking about and showing me the numbers that 85% of the skier visits we had in the U.S. last year were white people. So only 15% of that were people of color. So it's uh, and, and people of color are they're going to be the majority of the U.S. by now. I'm seeing the U.S. Census Bureau saying 2045. So it's a growing percentage of our population. It's a really important part of our population. We need to get these people up there for multiple reasons, but if for nothing else, just for business strategy, right? Um, and so that's you know one of the strategies and, and techniques we were you know all trying to push to this industry. Hey, we need diversity in this industry just to survive. You know, even let alone the moral uh, pieces of it, which which are, are more important. But uh, just just for pure survival. Uh, and, and is that something that you guys sort of think about as well? Yeah, I think about that too. You know, that statistic has been in my mind for years since I first heard it in college and thinking about what would it mean to have uh, to have that change in population in our country and what, what effects would it have on the industry and who's, who would be making, who would be accessing these spaces, you know, if, if there's less white people in the, in the country during this time or during the 2045 is that going to make the ski industry even more ex- exclusive, even more exclusive of, of these of these other people? Like, I'm not sure. Maybe it could potentially, but or like you were saying, it could could be really hurt the business of it all. And we won't have our beloved activities that we love. It could be both, right? You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, if we do continue on the path we're on, the ski industry is just going to get more exclusive because we're going to have this larger segment of our population that is people of color and less white people, but the white people could still control this. And, and, and that's not a pretty picture. So um, so I'm really excited about what you folks do, do. And one piece that I really liked too was, you know, at, at where you guys are at right now, you've decided to keep these programs, at least for skiing and snowboarding, relatively small, quality over quantity. Uh, and why do you think that's a good strategy? It is something that we've decided, but it's also something that just kind of happened because of the challenges with outreach. Um, uh-huh. But we do want to keep it smaller. That's because we want to create more personal relationships with the with the students, right? We want to make sure that they're they, they feel heard and seen. That way, they can continue to have that stuff to go snowboarding. I know when I was in track back in high school, the coaches would always focus on like kids that were really good, yeah. and never anybody else. That made <laughs> me feel horrible. Like, ah, what am I doing here? What's the point of being here? I don't want them to go through that same thing. So I want them to like help them with their skills and with the culture they help us a lot too with the culture they tell us the type of music they're listening to nowadays all the all the styles the clothing so it's just a personal relationships with the student and us i love that man and that kind of flows into my next question talking about culture yeah you know, i think that you guys are generating this really cool culture uh and what what kind of culture are, are you trying to create at vominos outside yeah, that's an interesting question as well. I think for for us, we're trying to come come at it at a different approach and different angle than other organizations. 
uh, we're trying to introduce these like these spaces and activities to these to these this new population, but at the same time without compromising their culture. Often we when this happens, we assimilate these people into the dominant culture already established. However, the culture we're trying to move forward is, you know, how can we access these uh, historically white spaces or white activities while also sustaining our, our own culture in these spaces? So that's the approach and that's the sort of like bridging of, the, of these cultures that we want to um, perpetuate. I love that because I think the idea is let's bring your Latino culture to the mountain. Uh, and, and, you know, have, have that be something that's part of the mountain. And I want to get into that more too, you know, basically what can mountains do to be more welcoming, more inviting to acquire more diverse people. So this culture that you're creating, I, I really like the idea of bringing the, the Latino culture up to the mountain and all, all other cultures up to the mountain, anything outside of what we have now, which is essentially European culture. And with your strategy of this, this longer format and, and having smaller groups, do you really think you can get kids hooked onto the outdoors for life? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, examples like Eddie and I, we're I'm like I so connected to the outdoors that I pursued a degree in environmental studies. And as I was the first person in my family to go to college and I pursued that, right? So that's definitely possible it's definitely possible. And it, we are doing that. It's just, you know, we have to realize what are the obstacles in preventing that for these for these um for these communities. Please talk about some of the obstacles and, and challenges, because I know you guys have had some real challenges in, in getting us off the ground and, and making this program work. The obvious obstacles are uh, the costs of these programs, but the cost of the equipment and cost of accessing these activities, for sure. I think that's always an obstacle for anyone, uh, or mostly everyone. However, you know, the culture piece of it, making it seem like it's valuable and uh, it's something that people want to do, like that, it, that people like Latinos want to do or you know are doing. That's the hardest part, I think. It's just shifting that perspective in this in these communities. Yeah, because if you don't, if it's not embedded in your culture, you're not going to value it, so you're not going to want to do it or even even be exposed to or even know about it. And so right. we're working our way up into you know exposing people to these activities making sure they know the benefits of participating in these activities and just overall, just showing them that it's fun, safe. And that is, it's, yeah, it's just a good time to be out there. And it's just good for you. And I love that. Well, we talked on the phone earlier, you talked about, you know, all kinds of aspects of, of giving, getting your, these kids to get involved in this industry, you know, both maybe, you know, not only just coming up and skiing and snowboarding, but maybe getting a job at the mountain, get a job at a ski shop in town, uh, getting a job just in the ski industry anyway. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. You know, so we want to expose them to these activities for sure, but we can only do so much for them to continue their, their long-term connection to these sports. Right. And so we want to also expose them to careers and make them, make them aware that there are ways to participate in these activities and these spaces in a way that you are, you know, embedded into that, into that industry. And so to let them know that they're, you know, you can work as a snowboard instructor and get a free pass, or you can work at a bike shop and learn how to build bikes and, you know, get discounts on bike and bike gear. There are ways to approach these really expensive activities without having to have a ton of money. I've seen so many examples of people just hustling and, and getting in there because, right, because they just are so stoked on these activities, they're just going to do whatever it takes to, 
to be up there, like including myself and including Eddie, we just, we've made that a part of our identity. And so we are going to, yeah, we're going to do what we can to always snowboard, always bike and always climb and, and you know, other activities like that. As well, that's just what I want to see. I want to see more, more uh, yeah. people of color being ski bums, right? <laughs> yeah, just up there grinding, you know, working in these little, you know, restaurants or whatever that you know ski bums do, and uh, and just embracing the lifestyle and loving it and living it. And I think, you know, I I know that's not the goal of your of your whole program, but just getting you know the, uh, people of color into the industry because I think that's that's a big question. Are there enough people of color working at ski resorts and working at ski sh- at ski shops? Uh, most definitely not. And that just goes across the board with all the other outdoor activities that we all love. Um, you know, I was this, this ski bum for years, which is work, working seasonally, living out of my car and, <laughs> and yeah, just traveling all over and just like not making a ton of money. And it was, it was great. I could, could snowboard and do what I wanted. And it came at a cost as well. Cause I didn't come from a wealthy family. I came from a very poor family, single parent household. And that came, you know, a lot of uh, myself trying to manage my internal like guilt and shame of not being, I'm not providing for my family uh, as, ex- as it is the ex- expectation. And also being gone, I was gone a lot. I miss a lot of my family, a lot of my uh, growing up of my nieces and things that happened. I, I missed so much because I was always gone. So for other people, you don't have to think about like a lot of white people that I come across that I worked with, worked alongside. They didn't have to think about that. They were encouraged to do all these things, you know, because they had a family tr- tradition or family history of like, oh, my dad, my parents climb, my parents ski. Like I had none of that. I was on my own and I was just figuring it out. And I, more or less, I was stoked on what I was doing. I love being up there. And for some reason, that was just a part of who I was early on. And I perceived that, but then realizing, oh crap, this is not always the most fun, and I have to deal with these other aspects of uh, of my of my family and my heritage. I really appreciate you sharing that. This has gone a direction uh, that I didn't anticipate at all. So th- this is something that I've been curious about for a while. So I'll just talk about my my own personal experience really quick. So I was a ski bum for you know almost twenty years before I made any money, but I came from a family where if everything if everything went wrong and I ended up on the street, I could always go home and my family would be able to take care of me. I could get back on my feet and I could go for it again. So I was able to overextend myself. And I think a lot of people of color don't have that option. You know, they may not have that, you know, support in the background or the ability for their family might not be able to take care of them for a while. Uh, there just might not be the financial flexibility to do that. And so I feel like that is something else uh, that's a big part of the ski industry that a lot of these, let's just call them white people, have these these families that would allow this sort of behavior. And that might not be something that people of color can do. Uh, what do you think on that? Only allow, but also uh, accept that type of behavior. A lot of, uh, I know in my family, I was always shamed for not working and just spending all this time outdoors, spending all this money and this gear. So there's also like a shame that comes with it too. Mm-hmm. That their family does not accept that. And then they have to support you again after you fail, like they knew you would, uh, at least in their mind. So there is that aspect of it too, not just having that backbone, but also having that pressure on you. 
And a whole other piece too that, that Wes sort of alluded to that maybe that your family needs you to actually help them out. So it would be helpful if you had a strong paycheck and you were being, you know, smart and frugal and let's call it, you know, living in the normal society, having a normal job so that you could maybe contribute some of your money back to the family and help them out. And so, again, I think that there, there are so many more challenges that we don't think about when we're white folks that come from the middle and upper classes that this stuff just feels like a given where we have this free leash, you know, that you're off leash, you can do whatever you want, where uh, folks of color may not have that privilege. Most definitely. And to speak to, you know, our, my family and Latinos may find more resonance with this is, you know, our, my, my mom immigrated to this country to, for a better life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the common narrative of a lot of immigrants who are coming from Mexico, Central America, you know, they suffered and, and went through a lot of hardships to get us to, um, into a good place to give us a better life essentially. And, and the expectation of like, Oh, you're going to college, you're going to get a good job. You're going to have a better life than what I did. Cause I was really poor. And my mom only went, only had her first grade education. And so she valued education really a lot. And, you know, I'm grateful to, to go to college. And after that, she expected me to, you know, find a job and start a family and do all these things that she thought was the American dream, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, after college, I left. I went to Colorado, working, started working in outdoor education, becoming a ski bum and just traveling and not making a ton of money, living out of a car, sleeping on the floor. You know, and my mom was just appalled by listening to all these <laughs> things. Like, this is like, this is not what I went through to, you know, this is not the, what I wanted you to do. Like, I wish you would do this. You know, to me, I was like, I was having a great time. I was learning. I was, for me, it, looked, it seemed like a real job. But to the eyes of our parents, uh, this was not legit at all. And so trying to balance that, right, to see like, oh, the, a career in the outdoor industry is legit. But having this pressure from my family to say, like, no, it's not like get a real job, which is kind of like a yeah, I hear that for a lot of people, too. But for me, it was like a lot more uh, more personal um, because my family will also tell me like, oh, hey, like you're doing all these like white things. You're you're acting pretty white. So it almost seemed like a betrayal of our culture, of my, of my culture that came from my family. And that, yeah, that sucked even more. Um now that's like changed a lot more and they've been more supportive and now see that I crafted this career now because I've been in it for a little while. Um, so that's really nice. But in the beginning, yeah, it was hard to break away. It's hard to really pursue the outdoors uh, 100%. Um, yeah, it was very hard in a lot of ways. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you very much. And it's part of why I really appreciate talking with you folks today is you opening my eyes to so many things I can't see. So that's something I hadn't thought about at all. If you have an immigrant parent, you know, it's very common. You know, a lot of Americans understand the story of immigrants come here to create a better life for their children. So their life might almost feel a little bit forfeit in a way. Like, you know, I had to do this, you know, challenging thing by immigrating to this new country. And, you know, I know immigrants that were, were medical doctors in their home country and they come here and they have a much, you know, they're a baker or something, you know, much, much for lower sure. status. And they they grind and they battle for their children to have these opportunities to back to that, you know, that medical doctor or, you know, those, those higher echelon uh, jobs. And when you may not pursue that, that's also going to be a real challenge. So let's just jump into that because I think sometimes there's these, 
pre-written uh, narratives and stereotypes that attempt to control our paths and, and our lives in general. And one narrative that you might be referring to here is a piece of it is that people might say, Latinos don't ski, uh, Latinos don't snowboard. And I'm curious, you know, what is your reaction to that? And what's your experience with that? I think that Latinos don't ski is not actually true. I think it's just that, the, you know, the, the lack of numbers we, we see or the lack of uh, desire to ski or snowboard from, from Latinos, you know, it's based in the structures and systems that make it really, really hard for those people to access those spaces, which is, you know, surprising on why we don't see those, those folks up there, which is surprising, which is not surprising why our families don't necessarily approve of it right away. That's just one narrative and it's not completely true, but I definitely understand what people are trying to say when they, when they say that. And I think you're referring to also here representation uh, is enormous in, in all walks of life. So when you see somebody who looks like you doing that thing, in this case, skiing and snowboarding or working at the mountain, you're going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel like, oh, you know, those people are doing it. She's doing it. So I can do it, too. Um, and, and because there's just so much more relatability within your culture, within your language, within everything that comes with that. And, and we're, we're not seeing enough people of color at ski resorts. So for in, in this example, maybe we'll say, you know, we're not seeing enough Latinos at ski resorts. So that is not encouraging people. And so that's what I love what you folks are doing is you're going to change that. You are changing that. And, uh, and it's just a big piece of what you do, I think, is you know, let's get our people, let's get Latinos up onto the hill and get them seeing representation. And it, representation is, is huge, I think, in, in diverse, you know, creating diversity is, you know, one example I always um, talk about is I was watching uh, Whoopi Goldberg and she just lost her mind when she saw that woman, I think her name's Nichelle Nicole, who was uh, the first black woman uh, on, she was on Star Trek. She was really one of the fast, first black women on TV. And, and Whoopi Goldberg's mind just exploded because she ran and told her family, hey, there's a black lady on TV and she ain't no maid. Uh, because, you know, traditionally, if there were black folks on TV, they were in these, you know, you know, subservient lower roles. And this lady was an officer, you know, she was commanding and and very much in charge of, of important things. And, and that just changed Whoopi Goldberg's whole mindset. And she realized, hey, I could be on TV. Uh, and so, yeah, so I'm just curious, you know, what, what your guys' thoughts on that in your, in your realm? Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, once you see someone that looks like you on TV or on a movie, uh, for example, Wes and I got really excited when we saw a Latino was going to be in our uh, next Black Panther. Oh, nice. That's really <laughs> exciting stuff. We get stoked. Oh, that's so cool. we can, so it's the same thing with like uh, snowboarding in the media and skiing in the media. Once you can see a person like that, uh, doing all those activities, I definitely helps with uh, realizing that you can do those activities as well. Yeah, and I would say that representation is huge. It's a really big piece to making uh, the any space more more diverse. You know, the power of representation, you know, is lies really in the, in the influence it can have on determining the reality of that space. And so, what I mean by that is. You know, if you are, you know, representation to me is just really, it's like, what stories are we telling? Who, what faces are we are promoting? Um, you know, and pictures are, are really important to de determining who is accepted um, and who is welcomed. And just also just, you know, just deciding that um, just feeling really comfortable to be up there, you know, it's also inspiring as well. So representation is huge and, and it can be, you know, in the media specifically, 
It's used to tell what stories are being told. And pictures can be perceived to, to define um, uh, credibility or, or truth. And so we see people, brown people up, up on the slopes or in the websites or in social media, we're going to think, oh, it's, you know, they've been, they, they're, they're there. I wonder how long they've been there, if they do it for a long time, right? So we start to imagine these stories or, or take in the information we're being told. And so when we don't see those things, right, we tend to see, oh, it's, you know, we don't see them, see those things for a reason. It probably means that we're not meant to do those things. But on the flip side, when we do have representation and, you know, true, genuine representation, it can lead to redefining our identity or even having a, a sliver of space where we can add to our identity. Absolutely. So I, I think that's just pivotal. You know, we need we need images of, of, of people of color, you know, in social media, advertising in, in all of these spaces. And then on top of that, we need to actually have some people of color working there. Right. So ski instructors, snowboard instructors, you know, people working at the mountain um, in, in all capacities, because that is going to show folks that, hey, you know, this this you know, we're here. We've done it. Uh, we're from your same culture and lifestyle. And, and it, can, it works for us. It can work for you. So I think that's huge. Uh, and, and a sort of a blunt question here that that you know flows right in flows right into this is, what does the ski industry need to do to be more inviting to people of color? What does the ski industry need to do to acquire more diverse people? It comes with a a lot of steps and a lot of things they can do to change and a lot of make baggage. it more welcoming. A lot yeah. of baggage, yeah. But once again, going back to the cost, it's extremely expensive. Making it cheaper, like introducing things like sliding scale um, payments. Although I think there would be a lot of controversy in that and it'd be really difficult to manage. But that's one thing that you can do. That's one idea. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's other aspects like we've talked about, the, the food, the music, uh, the marketing. Uh, every time I go to like a ski resort, the music that's playing is either like electronic music or even just looking at going back to the media. Any video that you see that has snowboarding and skiing, it's either going to be electronic music or like a country slash folk music which those music uh, genres are great, but it's not typically what people of color listen to. Right. And so, yes. Yeah. And so you, you touched on that and we talked about it, talked about it earlier, but uh, you know, having food, music, architecture, all these kind of things that uh, would be you know, more conducive to what let's just say Latinos or people, or people of color would, would listen to what would they would eat, the kind of architecture that they like, uh, because it, essentially the music, food, architecture, and more has been exclusively European white people oriented, right? So uh, so if we had music that was more inviting to Latinos, they'd feel more comfortable. If we had food that there was more in their, of their culture, they'd feel more comfortable. If the architecture was more what they their culture likes, that would make them feel a lot more comfortable. And then one thing that blew my mind, because it's so simple, but I hadn't thought of it, and I want to hear your thoughts on this again, was just having signs in Spanish. Yeah, you know, we talk to we talk about these other, you know, cultural aspects of making ski resorts more inclusive. But we also got to examine like this actual structure of, of how these places are built. And, you know, language is a, it's a big part of that. You know, what you're saying really is having one language, which is, you know, English in the U.S. is that. Uh, you're gonna make it really hard for these people to navigate the area or even navigate the website or so you know you're putting one more obstacle in in the way. Language is important when it comes to to Latinos. Otherwise, you know, 
if the parents most of the time parents don't speak English or speak poor English and then so it really le- puts all the pressure on the kid to to translate everything and that sucks a lot of burden on them right so if we were to able to uh, have a lot of things translated it would just be so much easier to get people there to mountain and help them navigate navigate it all and also you know going back to representation if your language is represented in in that in that space you're gonna come to find that you're gonna you might feel more accepted more welcomed that oh like this is you know in spanish i can tell my friends or this other family that come like oh they speak, they speak spanish or they have spanish trans translations everywhere so we can navigate without having to feel you know othered right to like to feel excluded in that way so it's huge i want to oh. jump in right there with a little thought too is like we are latinos are a family-based culture and if there's spanish signs they can bring your family and you can bring your mom and dad and they can read that because most of the times they don't know english that well so that would help a lot with bringing more people there bringing your whole family up there instead of just the kids that's such a great point. I'm so, so I'm so glad, glad you guys brought that up uh, when we talked before. And one of my thoughts is, uh, especially when I when I travel, I think the number one most respectful thing you can do is try to speak someone's language. I, I just think it's the most culturally respectful thing you can do. And I get sometimes, you know, some cultures don't like it when you butcher their language, like maybe French people. But uh, but in general, I think even they would realize like, hey, this person is trying to relate to us within our language. This That's very respectful, right? Uh, and especially when it makes you look silly. Uh, but you can think about how respectful it would be for a ski resort to have their signs in both English and Spanish. And think about if they, if I, and that's why this is you know the challenge I think that we could put out to ski resorts in the US is I love to find and see the first ski resort to do this, to have all of their signs, all of their text in everything, you know, menus, but especially the signs that are on the mountain be in Spanish and English. It's going to happen. But if I'd love to see whoever does it first, I think is going to get a lot of respect because that is very, very cool. That would be such a cool thing to see. And as a person who doesn't speak Spanish, I think it'd be really cool too. Cause whenever I come across signs that are in uh, two languages, I try to remember it's like, Hey, you can learn. Everybody can learn something there. Um, so I think it's, it's just, I think it'd be really cool. And, and I'm curious, you know, what, would that blow your mind? How cool would that be? What what would that feel like to have that at a ski resort? English and Spanish everywhere. Massive. I mean, we could even get in front of that and have like, make it a whole day, like changing the signs and introducing people to the mountain. That'd be a really big thing. Um, it'd be awesome to see. What do you think, Wes? I, th- I think it would be a bold move. Uh, and if for it to happen at a ski area, you know, for it to be kind of like an innovative way to to push these inclusive inclusive practices and to inspire other institutions, not just other ski areas, but you know, the Forest Service and translating a lot of their signs um, and other other government agencies as well. We, and also um, you know, to inspire other businesses to to translate their websites or have methods for it to be translated. Um, you know, because that's not only happening, that's our other struggle as well is a lot of these other organizations like, oh, want to serve the Latino community, yet everything they, they have is in English and um, nothing is available in Spanish. And so like you're already creating obstacles, um, putting the burden on people instead of taking it on themselves. 
there, there is a big threat here to do something great, right? So there's a big threat here of a positive feedback loop also is kind of what you're saying is, you know, once some of the stuff starts, you know, it really could infect other businesses, other pieces of our culture, other industries. And we know it's doable because uh, if you folks have been up to Canada, pretty much all their mm -hmm. signs are in Spanish, or excuse me, are in French and English uh, because they have that Quebec part of their country where their people speak French. So they have two official languages. So it wouldn't be that hard. You know, if, if there's an example out there already, it's very doable. Uh, and so we could do it here and it'd be such a cool thing to see. So I think that could be our challenge to U.S. ski resorts. We'd love to see English and Spanish on all the signs on the mountain. That would be huge. And I think that Absolutely. even the more specific challenge could be, you know, we'd love to see it in California because I was just looking at the numbers and California is the most diverse uh, of the of the ski industry where they have around 28% of their uh, skier visits are people of color. So, and I'm guessing a huge percentage of that is Latinos and, and probably SoCal. So, um, so we'd love, love to see that. I think that would be so cool. And sort of on that note, I am curious, you know, what, what has been your personal experience as a Latino in the mountains, as a Latino in the ski and snowboard industry? Have you had some good experiences, bad experiences? Have, has it felt exclusive, inclusive? How has it felt to you? Definitely have a little bit of both, you know, as a, per, like, if you're talking about my total, total self, yes. I love the outdoors and I love winter and I love snowboarding and I love being out there no matter what, like no one will ruin that for me. But if we are talking about me as a Latino in the snow sports industry, yeah, it's been, it hasn't been always pretty. Um, it's definitely felt, um, has felt super isolating um and super and at times really unwelcoming and yeah being bel belittled by by white white folks um you know you know the term like mansplaining right but i think we're all yes. we all know that uh you know for me it's also a uh, part of that is being white splained and how to do something or how to navigate the, the resort mm -hmm. um and that's been yeah that's been um part of my experience as a snowboard instructor or someone who's just enjoying the out the the ski area um just people trying to assuming that um i'm new to it that i that i uh yeah that i can't work at the resort because i'm because i'm because of my skin color it's been it's been yeah very tough and also just like the lack of of my culture not even like the latino culture but like my because i grew up in la first and mm -hmm. uh that urban culture like i don't listen to a lot of folk music i don't listen to all these <laughs> other country music right i listen to rap and hip-hop and you don't hear that you don't see that in in the snow sports industry like eddie was saying those videos you see a lot of like alternative and and folk music um there's like maybe a few videos where they were playing uh hip-hop and and rap music and that makes me feel more welcomed and being able to play music um, my music in the locker room, um, that is, you know, th that means a lot. It means that I am, my experiences, my background is welcome, is welcomed. But when I don't feel that, I just, you know, have to close myself off and feel like I'm, feel more, smaller than I should be, I guess, when the idea of being on a ski area is, you know, find or try to find this transcendence of, of of being on a snowboarder skis yeah absolutely eddie anything to share yeah i have pretty much had the same experience pretty isolating uh, felt like i didn't belong but my love of the outdoors is what kept me in it i really enjoyed the sport even though 
I really did feel alone doing all that stuff. Um, I went with all my friends and, you know, they understood the sport, they understood the culture and I didn't. It just, it was at times overwhelming. So yeah, it felt alone, but I just want to like share the story of like when I first met Wes and we first snowboarded together, that was my first time snowboarding with another Latina and that was massive. And it wasn't just us two. Uh, who else was it? Who else was there, Wes? We met up with my other friend, uh, who was a Latino, and then ran into two of my other friends who were black. And so it was like the five of us nice. riding together um, on this particular spring day, and it just kind of happened organically. And we just like ran, met met each other there. And 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 Eddie, I think Eddie was like first time meeting all these folks, um, but we all just kind of meshed together really well and we just rode together all day and we we're all snowboarders and uh we were playing rap music all everywhere on the mountain messing around wearing costumes like we were just having fun and and we just felt like we could be ourselves um and not have to not have to adhere to the to the you know to the norms of of other groups and and ski area so yeah we were having fun being silly Wearing the monkey suit. Yeah, <laughs> wearing my baby face. Yeah, <laughs> we're just having fun, and that, and you just just you know, it just goes to show how free we can feel when we feel safe and welcomed, and when we're around people who understand us and and just get it and have these shared experiences. It just makes us feel so much more open and free, and just to be ourselves. And that's what we want for want this place, to, like the ski areas, to be is to have people feel like they can be themselves right and so it's hard to do that when when you know you're not you don't feel welcome or not feel like you're represented and for you i know we talked about this a little bit already but for you two folks what would make you feel more comfortable what would make you feel more welcomed on the mountain i think for me i would love to I think I guess this is just the, the nature the innate the nature of the outdoor industry in general is there's a lot of emphasis on achievement and going harder, going bigger, going faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we talked about this on the phone call where we, you know, I, a lot of people don't do these epic things, don't do these epic objectives. A lot of, a lot of folks just hang out in, in the intermediate realm and, you know, you can have such a profound experience just being there. And for me, I would love the culture to shift from this intense space the performative type of a type of um, value into more of like you know have fun for what that means to you, and for it to be more more uh, more welcoming to people who are just want to have fun and and enjoy enjoy being up there and not have to worry about oh like I didn't I didn't ski as much as I wanted to compared to this person or or I can't do that because for whatever reason or. I'm not good enough to ride with these people because I'm I'm the depression. They just want to ride hard. And like, no, like let's just shift that culture and saying, like, oh, we're gonna ride together and we're gonna have fun for what that means for that particular day, for that particular group of people. I think I would love to just see that be more of the norm, not just in skiing, but in climbing, right? And biking. Just like let's just go out and have a good time for the sake of being there together, not for the sake of you know crushing it you know there is important there's times where that is important and i'm definitely part of that you know definitely like to do that too but a lot of the time i just go out with friends and just we just have fun whatever that means i'm not trying to impress anyone i'm not trying to get sponsored i'm not trying to do any of that i'm just trying to snowboard right that's the idea 
favorite run is a is a green run called Marshmallow on Bachelor. We just said nice. that over and over and <laughs> over again. Nice. So good. Nice. No, I agree. I think that when we talked about this before, I I, I just kind of just doing the math in my head, and it's got to be 0.1% of this industry is riding at the level to be less than that, right? Like 0.001% is riding at a level to be in a ski or snowboard movie, right? The 99.999% of us are just cruising around having a good time, right? And that, and that's all we need, you know, maybe go fast on a groomer or have a great powder day and get some snow in your face. Uh, those are the sort of rushes that that work well enough for all of us, you know, basically all of us. Um, so I, I like your ideology there because I, I hadn't thought of that before is we celebrate this extreme scary piece of it. So when your parents see a ski movie, they're like, no, I'm not. I don't want my kid doing this. Um, you know, or even maybe your friends or family or girlfriend or wife or husband, you know, they're going to see this like, gosh, I don't want my people doing this. This is like, I don't want my person doing this. This is scary. They're going to hurt. But the reality is much mellower, right? We're mostly all of us are just cruising around, making turns, staying on the ground, having a good time. So that's something we're celebrating uh, and having that be pushed in the media instead of this extreme, you know, uh, you know the people that ski at that level and ride at that level, that, there's a hundred percent injury rate, right? Um, so it's pretty clear that if you ride like that, you will get hurt. You are going to go to the hospital, but, uh, but most people can cruise around, have a good time and uh, not have as much risk to injury uh, at one heck of a lot less. And, and most people don't get hurt, which is, which is good. Um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that, man. I think that that is a good thing that we could do to make the sport feel and look a lot more welcoming. Uh, and I think a lot of times ski resorts try to push that cruiser mellow stuff too. Uh, but I think that even they could do a better job of it because even they will celebrate that, that extreme end of it, which is okay to celebrate, but I think it's nice to have that cruiser mellow happy vibe as well. Um, yeah, most definitely. You know, we, we try to do all the, think about you know getting these kids up there early on so they continue for for a long time the best way to do that is to promote like safe safety um and promote fun and to promote like um racing or i mean that's great and all too but for a lot of people some people just don't want to do that right they they just want to have fun so if we can make it more family friendly as well like that would be awesome um making more mellow trails smaller lifts um cheaper deals for the family that would be huge not just for latinos but for everyone and for latinos like we're such a family oriented um uh people that that would be even another good way to make it more inclusive it's just make it more family friendly i think you're right i think more family packaging more beginner packaging mm -hmm. uh these attempts and these reach outs to get people involved in the industry uh, at the beginner level and to get more people of color uh, involved at the beginner level is huge. And you guys have had some success with that. So I am curious if you tell me a short story, because I know you mentioned that you had a high school intern, I think it was, who learned how to ski, climb, mountain bike, all in like six months. Uh, so so tell me that story. Tell me about this person. Yeah, this, uh, this student, he's in high school and he's just an awesome kid. He's so stoked about doing all this stuff. We first met him through our ski program. He does really well. He crushes it there, but he loves climbing. He goes to our climb nights uh, and all our climbing programs. And like you said, um, we he recently got a job at the local uh, Ben or the local rock gym. Nice. And he's super stoked about that. Wes helped him with his resume. Like we're really trying to help these kids and mentor them. And he's in a mountain biking program right now. 
Um, and yeah, he's become our biggest promoter. Like I said, <laughs> outreach has been a challenge for us. Uh-huh. But now that he's gone through all this, he's telling all of his friends, he's trying to convince them to come and it's working. He started his own VO club at, at, his, uh, at his school. And yeah, he's stoked about it all. He gets his little brother. His little brother's hilarious too. He gets them to come <laughs> uh, to all of our events, even though he like little brother like sometimes doesn't want to. He like forces him, and of course the little brother has fun once he's there. But yeah, he's just exposing all these people, including his family. Um, he tells us how he goes fishes. He, he fishes. He tells us how he fishes with his dad and his, and his little brother. He takes them out in the kayaks. Nice. All this stuff. He loves the outdoors. And to dive deeper into that, you know, he started not knowing any, to do any of these things. And we met him, like Eddie said, in a ski program. He went through that and then started biking with us. And at the same time, started climbing. And he already had been kayaking. So he's really involved in the outdoors. And for me, like what we really did, it was just exposing to the, the possibilities there are within the outdoor industry. And you know, we provided a 10 punch pass for him and his little brother. Um, nice. We had some donations for that and they, and we got him some gear and they got hooked and it's like, yo, like, like my, my punches, my punches are expiring. Like, what can I do? Like, well, you know, you can get a job here and that's one way you could, you, you could pay for your membership. And he, you know, was really receptive about that. And he, that's what we worked on that summer into creating, giving him the skills, teaching the skills for him to be, to, to be hired at this at this climbing gym and he did that you know i helped him with a resume his first one that he had ever you know re- really written and looks pretty fresh and yeah so he got this job and just goes to show that we exposed the this kid to all these activities and we didn't force him into any of it we we asked him what he wanted and he said he, he stated what he wanted and so okay cool we're going to support you in all this um and 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 it worked right and that's just one way just one example of, of the possibility of the programs we're doing and also having that relationship with those with those students you know for them to trust us that you know this is a way the way to go for this for wherever they want to go well that has got to feel so good that is what your goal must be right it is something along the lines of of what what the outcome that this this kid's experiencing uh, and so as you have more and more and more of that, uh, it's just going to feel so good. I mean, that is success. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, that to me, that makes me feel so good. I feel like, you know, if if you don't have, and, and you will have more impact, but if you had no other impact, but this, this one person that feels totally significant. Most uh, definitely. You, yeah. yeah. You, you yeah. just totally changed their, you know, you showed them what was possible right. and now they're exploring it. And, and to even expand on that too, he's the oldest brother out of four, uh, four siblings. And then his little brother is, you know, climbing all the time too. And we took him camping with us and everything as well. And, you know, then he has two younger brothers as well that are potentially going to benefit from this one kid going, doing all these experiences. And he's also exposing his family to the outdoors and the outdoor industry. And in this town, you know, a lot of the parents, there's you know, are very connected and they, they hang out and they talk. And so there's just a ripple effect really that's happening, you know, that um, the per- perception of these activities is starting to change. And with this one kid, I mean, he's doing so much for, not only for for himself, but for his family, but also for, for the community. And it's just really awesome to see him being involved. Like if he gets a job after high school in the outdoor industry, great. But and if he doesn't, that's also okay because he's just learning, you know, so many life skills and 
and being involved in all these activities. So it's just really cool to see see this kid. Yeah, just really doing really well for himself as a junior in high school. Yeah, his resume is insane right now. Yeah. <laughs> working interning for VO, then he's working for the Rock Gym, all these activities that he's done. His resume is looking good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. When they say VO, they mean their organization, Vominos Outside. Yeah, that's killer. I mean, it's just it's a vicious positive feedback loop. And I you guys are starting it. Uh, and that and I know that's got to be a big piece of your goal. And so I'm so I'm just congrats. I'm so happy for you guys and happy for, for these people uh, who are who are getting involved and having their lives change like this. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by your Northern California Toyota dealer. Hit the trail and discover your next Tahoe adventure in a Toyota Tundra TRD Pro Hybrid. Featuring an available iForce Max hybrid engine that generates an electrifying 437 horsepower with 583 pounds per foot of torque. The TRD Pro also tows up to 12,000 pounds, so you can take the adventure with you. It's made for endurance and made for the mountain. Visit buyatoyota.com NorCal for more details and start your next adventure in a brand new Toyota, the official vehicle of Palisades Tahoe. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Alta Ski Area, home to one of the first ski areas to open in the United States and the birthplace of avalanche forecasting and avalanche mitigation in North America. The skiing techniques, lifts, and lodges, and ski gear have changed with the times, but there's a timeless spirit at Alta that remains. Perhaps it's because the generation of skiers who have been able to pass on their love for the mountain. And, and it sounds like you, there was also a skateboarder you talked about who got into snowboarding. And, and I love that because there's that, that connection that, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding really came from Southern California and it really translated into the mountains. Uh, and so, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that? It sounds like there was a kid who was in the state skateboarding and got him in the snow. A lot of our students last year were skaters mm-hmm. um, already. And so it was just an for them, which is an easy next step to snowboard, right? It's the same feeling, same same style. And so that was really easy. And out of the 12 kids we we got to the mountain last year, I think 11 of them wanted to snowboard. And that goes to show just like the, the culture that's instilled in, in, these, in these kids and, you know, the urban culture, the culture coming from LA and skating being part of the urban culture. And that just, yeah, it's just, continue to the next level of of snowboarding you know these some of these kids were throwing down in the park better than we were nice. because because they're just naturally athletic in this in, in that you know with a board and they love skating and now you know after this after the season they're like oh i love snowboarding because we essentially just gave them the opportunity to extend their skating to to the snow and that was just really cool to, to see and also just kind of interesting to just you know notice that a lot of brown kids latinos are going to want to snowboard more which is you know you know brands should be should be jumping on top of that and investing in that because that is such an easy next step for that culture but yeah this kid was just like with one kid was particularly just like first season a snowboard just you know doing board slides and hitting jumps and all these other stuff like well, I could I couldn't even do that, you know, first four years of my of my snowboarding. It took me so long to get there. And within a few weeks, this kid was throwing down and 
he just loved loved snowboarding and then he ended, ended up getting a job at a smaller ski area nice. um um close uh further away but um yeah just like within the same season he just got hooked right away <laughs> right um and, and that was just really awesome to see that we didn't have to do a whole lot to to tell him like oh you can work here like work at these, these jobs he just kind of figure it out by himself and that was just really cool really great to see well that's great if you can get someone hooked enough where they are now asking the question how can i do this every day how can i do this without having to really pay for it uh and that's the solution is get a job at the hill that's right exactly yeah and that's the idea between you know the approach we have we're trying to have with this program like invest all these resources and all this time into making them feel like they belong like make make sure they're they are writing well and learning skills for them to get just hooked on it and for them to continue it on their own that's the idea right there's going to come a point where they're not going to be able to do our programs anymore mm -hmm. and so the, with that will their um participation in snow sports end there uh, i hope not right so we are just trying to give them so much in the beginning invest so much time and effort uh so when they're older you know they'll just hopefully want to continue that on their own and hopefully be, it'll be part of their their identity and their life uh, and that's one way we can like we can contribute to changing or making these areas more diverse absolutely and you know talking about these stories and how people got where they got uh how did you guys get here uh, you know, tell, tell us a quick little bit about yourselves. You know, what, what are your background? How did you end up in the snow sports world and starting Vominos Outside or, or being involved with Vominos Outside? So I was born and raised in Bend, Oregon. I didn't participate in the outdoor and outdoor recreational sports until I was a senior in high school. Oh, wow. But I say outdoor recreational sports because I grew up in the Shoots River Woods, which is an area like 10, 15 minutes away from uh, Bend proper. Uh -huh. And that's like in the middle of the woods. So as a child, I spent my time exploring the like uh, like the woods, the river, and the lava fields that were nearby. I was always in the outdoors, but I just never did any of the outdoor recreational parts um, until after high school. I got into climbing, and then after climbing, I was hooked. I was like, "This is amazing! I want to do more stuff." And then I got introduced to snowboarding. And then after that, I was like, "Yeah, this is it right here. <laughs> when I need to do this more." And I've been doing it since. And how I got into uh, VO or Ramones Outside was uh, I went in my local community college. There was an there was an outdoor leadership program, so I did that and I joined that program because I knew I wanted to diversify the outdoors. Um, so I wanted to get more skills and knowledge into that. And then during that program, I was doing some research and I noticed that Zavi, the founder who I didn't know at the time was doing a panel about diversity in the outdoors. So I was like, all right, I need to see this. I need to make this. This is going to be so uh, informative. And this is exactly what I want. I ended up missing the panel. Um, <laughs> but then I saw his email like on the, on the website. And I was like, all right, let me email him and see what's up. And that's how I got introduced to Vamanus Outside. From there, he got me into it. And I've been here since. For me, it took a long time, actually. So I, you know, being being from L.A. originally and inner city L.A., nature or the idea of nature is was something very abstract, wasn't really conceptualized in my mind. And then I moved to Oregon. My family moved to Oregon. And immediately I just saw like, oh, this is so much greener. The air is so much fresher. The water tastes really good. There's so much 
open land where I can go go for a walk. It was just amazing. I just found myself in this more um, less stressful environment than I was in inner city LA, right? I mean, I grew up there in the 90s. Crime oh, wow. and, and poverty and, and gangs and all that was you know, pretty present. And so leaving that environment and going to Oregon was like, well, this is this is awesome. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, I don't ever want to live in, in LA again, you know, and going, grow up in high school, you know, I had friends who were, who were white and it took, would take me along with, with, with them to these trips. Like I remember my first rafting trip when I was 15, my friend's family took me with them. And I just remember that, that day really vividly. And I was just, it was just so cool to be exposed to that kind of experience where, I could just like have a lot of fun and be outside. And so I, so I started associating these great feelings with being outdoors. And then, you know, I was part of a youth group that led me to go uh, backpacking in Canada. And that was pretty rad. And I always wanted to be in the, uh, do more. When I got into college, I was a college athlete. So I was, that took all of my time, at least my freshman year. What, what did but you play? I, I forgot. I wrestled. I wrestled that's, in college. Whoa, yeah. that's hardcore, man. Continue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty okay. hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, like, I, I wanted to do the outdoor program that was at my school, but I couldn't do it because I was wrestling. And so I had this, like, uh, this really big moment where I decided that I was going to quit wrestling and join this program. And I did that. And it was good. It was great. It was honestly for the better. I found a better community. I kind of left this like toxic masculinity type of area where in, in, in college sports, especially in wrestling, mm-hmm. um, and I found the outdoors and just kind of like started opening these these doors for me. And I just started feeling better uh, as a person. Well, then I graduated and I left for Colorado and I started working for Outward Bound uh, oh, in nice. Colorado. And that's what really started my career in outdoor education. And from then on, I was just like, this is it's my first trip was I spent three weeks in the San Juans climbing mountains with some kids and and I was like this is so cool this is so rad and it's just so beneficial for me just being outside and yeah I just remember telling myself like I'm com- like I want to be I want to commit to this I want to commit to this career and that just led me to another job here and there and other job other places and yeah I fell into that into that that culture of of being like living out of my car and being that ski bum or that that dirt bag um as as a <laughs> latino brown person in these spaces and for me i was just like so bought in i didn't didn't see what was going on i didn't i was so naive uh and just yeah it just like, absorbed everything and i was i was having a great time and at some point something shifted where maybe maybe because i got older shifted and i started seeing these like little nuances in in the in outdoor education in general about you know when we started working when I started working with for brown kids we started to uh, kind of I guess for lack of better words like force them into this curriculum we were teaching them it's like this is not designed this doesn't make sense because it doesn't it's not you know it doesn't fit your culture and it doesn't fit you it's not as valuable to you than it was to these other white kids so then I started questioning everything and doing my own little research and eventually when I, when I was in Ben working in Ben during the pandemic someone told me that someone is starting this little program that includes uh brown kids in the outdoors like oh well, sh- well shit like I'm gonna I want to do that because that's what I you know I have all this experience now and then now I have this new awareness of why how to do it better for 
brown people or brown kids like okay i want to be a part of that and so that's when i met zavi um and him and i started this little little program for kids for small kids and then eddie came along and so we just kind of all connected you know we got to know each other we are friends because of of vamos outside and this not only that but like the our mission and our desire to bring the outdoors to our to our our communities and bring the benefits that came with that well i'm so glad that you ended up in this on this pathway and that you're doing what you're doing it's i'm so glad both of you are doing it thank you so much for sharing your stories uh, and I know I'm from a very different uh, background, but uh, I ended up in Bend at 18 years old in 1996. I went to Central Oregon Community College, uh, like you did, Eddie, and uh, and that's where I started skiing. I, I I didn't ski before then, so I it changed my life hugely because I'm I'm very obsessed now. So uh, so yeah, so we all have that cool connection with Bend and the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm stoked on that. So I'm stoked that you guys are doing that. And I just wanted to ask you a really broad question that you could give a short answer on but tell us a little bit about bend oregon uh what's it like there what's the culture like like i said i was born and raised in bend oregon it's mostly white people like a uh-huh. lot of it is just white people uh-huh. growing up i was usually like the only person of color in my classes maybe like one or two more uh-huh so yeah it's mostly white also the food is not the best here <laughs> oh <laughs> Wes, Wes and i can get into depth about the food here yeah. But what's it missing ethnic diversity food. yeah, yeah. <laughs> good it always food. comes down to diversity yeah. yeah so yeah the food's not great here but if you're into the outdoors ben is probably like one of the best places to be it's got basically every sport uh, except surfing but even then we have the wave park like right in the middle of town where people surf where people surf. yeah mm-hmm. exactly um it's also very expensive to live here uh, it's getting more and more expensive mm-hmm. so that's not great but what we're dealing with yeah for me it's i I definitely echo eddie saying um you know super white which is fine uh, because most of them are pretty nice uh good people uh it's relatively safe place to be you know i grew up in uh in the hood in la compare that to ben it's pretty safe uh so if you're pretty good about that um, access to public spaces is incredible yeah, that and it's just really great, a great place to grow up and live if you are, you know, white. If you're not, then you are, you struggle with feeling isolated and unwelcome. And there's parts of Ben that is, you know, segregated, really. A lot of people of color, a lot of Latinos live on the on the east end of the river in, in affordable or low-income housing and mobile home parks and, and apartments. Uh, and there's other parts of town that are like there's like multi-million dollar houses. And so Ben can be can seem like a like a like a heaven or a haven for some people, but for others, we see like for us, we see the reality and the comparison of you know of these really rich, rich, wealthy areas and these very, very low income areas. And we see both of that. We see the the whole thing because we work with people from all different uh uh, walks of life and different neighborhoods and so we can one you know, one hour we can talk in a meeting with these really you know really uh wealthy people and the next hour we can be working with kids who um you know, parents are barely making a livable wage so it's very very uh i would say i wouldn't say odd but it's just like whoa this is it's like it's happening here in bend when there's we we tend to think bend is this haven but it, it not always like that and I think we're seeing that in a lot of ski towns. So what you 
guys are, are talking about is important to the ski industry in general, because I know Jackson specifically has the most polarization of, uh, you know, wealthy and, and, and let's just say people in poverty, uh, of anywhere, you know, the, the, the disparage, you know, the, 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 the spectrum is huge. You know, you have a, a lot of very wealthy people and then a lot of people that do not, uh, are not, aren't getting enough. And so, and I think it sounds like Ben has some of that as well. I think most all ski towns are experiencing that. And then, and then just on a, on a subjective level, does it feel like the, the, you know, white people and people of color, are they mixing a lot or, or are they still relatively segregated? I think it's starting to change more and more. I would say, you know, if we come to think of like Latinos, the, which are the largest racial minority here in central Oregon, I would say that not really meshing a whole lot right now, but there's other folks, you know, like Asian Americans, African Americans that are, that are meshing more and more. And that's, I think, I think that's starting to change, but definitely could happen more, I guess. And so, you know, a lot of the time, why it doesn't happen is because a lot of Latinos don't go to these white spaces or don't access these these trails. And an approach that we've worked with other organizations to 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 kind of promote is to you know take our services, take our, our activities to where the people are instead of having them come to where we are. Right. And so that bridges a gap. And so you know a lot of organizations want to want some insight and onto how to serve these people better. It's like okay, well number one, like go to where they are. And that's why I hope that, you know, a lot of other residents of Ben and other, I guess, other ski areas, ski towns too, is that, you know, you know, if you, if people want to mesh, you got to go with these people are not always have them come to where you are. Yeah. And that means like doing events at like at the mobile parks, we do events there. We've also done, done for outreach is uh, going door to door, knocking and promoting our events. Yeah. That's what it takes. Wow, good for you, man. That's, that's boots on the ground right there. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that with us, and I appreciate you bringing up, you know, the 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 contrast of you know how Latinos are experiencing Bend and how white people might be, and uh, and just for the nerds of the of the program, I was I'm going to jump into some numbers. So bear with me here. I'm curious, you know, what you what your reaction are to these numbers. So I just looked up a bunch of interesting stuff. So. When I lived in Bend, there was about 30,000 people. And now there's 100,000, a little over 100,000. Uh, it looks like somewhere, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, somewhere around 9% of them are Latino. And then if we kind of zoom out, look at the broader picture, in 2020, uh, there were 63.5 million Latinos living in the USA. So it's about 20% of our, our population. So, so that's very significant. In California, it's 40% of their 40 million popul- person population is Latino, uh, making it the largest ethnic group in the state. Uh, so that's over 16 million Latinos in California. In Oregon, it's a 14% of the state's population is Latino, and it's the fastest growing minority in the state. Uh, according to the US, and this is all US Census Bureau, Another U.S. Census Bureau data is uh, datum here is by 2045, they think uh, whites will compromise less than half of the U.S. population. And it'll be something around 25 percent Hispanics, 13 percent black, 8 percent Asian and 4 percent multicultural. So, again, by 2045, some some folks think 2050, more than half of the U.S. is going to be people of color. So very, very significant. Already by 2020, the U.S. Census Bureau thinks that fewer than one half of the of the children in the U.S. being born are going to be non non Hispanic white. So basically, more than half of the children already 
that are being born and, and the children in the U.S. right now are of people of color. And then if we move into the ski industry, so according to the National Ski Area Association, 85% of the skier visits last season were white people, uh, with only 15% of those being people of color. We got to get better on that. We got to bring more people of color into this. They should be looking more like their representation in yeah. the U.S., which would be a much higher number. So um, getting closer to half. And also, uh, the this is interesting. The National Ski Area Association breaks it out their their population and their demographics into regions. So the Pacific Southwest region has the most diversity at 28% of the participants being people of color. And that's probably California, uh, Pacific Southwest. And then the Midwest and Northeast are the least diverse with nine and 11% uh, of brown people respectively. And then your area, the Pacific Northwest is tied with the Southeast for the second most diverse at 15% of the ski area participants being uh, of diverse backgrounds. And then beginners are a bit more diverse than the, than the other areas, which they call core and rival uh, or revival. So I think there's people who are experienced in skiing and people who are coming back to skiing and snowboarding. But I'm just curious, you know, hearing those numbers, hearing how low the participation is from brown people, how does that make, make you feel? Do you want to change them? And do you think they will change? And yeah, it's definitely lagging behind. Um, I think it will change, especially with more organizations like Lamont Outside trying to um, putting energy into changing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked about like a tipping point uh, during our phone call. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. We're pushing that like that ball or snowball. I like to think of it as a snowball up the mountain, and it's hard and it's and it's heavy. But once we get it over that tipping point, it's just gonna roll and roll and get bigger and get bigger, be self-sustaining. I agree. I think at some point we're gonna hit that positive feedback loop, and it's just gonna feed itself. Definitely. And I think for me too, you know, seeing the the trends in population change and who is going to be more represented in the general population, how we can look at it is like, what can we, what can the snow sports industry and outdoor industry in general can, what can they stand to benefit from all this? And what could these people stand to benefit from participating in, in this, in these industries, you know, and, you know, the biggest part of the economy is the money that could be made by marketing and a shifting culture to to welcome these people into these spaces you're gonna i mean like you were talking earlier it's gonna might have to change to keep these uh, industries alive and also you know if you get more 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 participation there's more investment in getting these folks uh communities of color uh into the outdoors you know what benefits will that have on 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 public health right on because if you look at the major um life or risk factors uh, for Latinos is all, you know, lifestyle based issues like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, right? So it's a matter also could be seen as a matter of public health. And then you go into the environmental uh, perceptions as well. You know, if we want to continue to to preserve our public lands, our open spaces, and more of the population is becoming Latino or, or becoming uh, diverse or, or some people of color, Will the rates of environmentalism also change with that? And I don't, and I don't know. I think it it could, but also, I don't want to leave it to chance to say that just because the population is growing more, we want to care for the environment. Like we have to invest in that, so that when the population does change, these people will have some sort of connection to the environment and want to protect it as well. So I I see it also as like an environmental issue as at the same time. And so we're, I mean, we've been talking about this, this theme of 
of the this like ripple effect embedded in all these different issues we're we're like we're talking about today. No, I appreciate it. you guys keep bringing up more and more points that I've never thought of. So yeah, the environmental angle it makes a lot of sense because we all know the more people that we can get on this you know, team environment side, the more power that we'll have, you know, both politically, uh, you know, as lobbyists uh, and more to make real change towards preserving our wild places and more, you know, fighting climate change and all these things that threaten our environment. For sure. So, and I yeah. think that's huge, you know, as this brown person, the people of color demographic grows, uh, you, we're going to have more advocates uh, for that too. And like you said, you know, and when I interviewed Henry Rivers of the the president of the the National Brotherhood of Skiers, an all-black organization, uh, you know, he really says we got to market to these folks. If we can market to people of color, we can get them in here. And I think that's another challenge we can offer the ski industry. We'd love to see a organization or even a specific ski area really market aggressively to you know people of color. And it really makes sense for those ski resorts in Southern California and California in general, anywhere, uh, but especially those places where they have that demographic so strongly. Uh, and they're already getting seeing that demographic as we saw the Pacific Southwest is seeing 28% of their mm-hmm. total skier visits be people of color. So, um, yeah. so thank you for bringing that up. For sure. I want to add one more thing to that too. You know, Please. not only will it will increase, hopefully increase these, you know, participation in environmentalism and, and, and be a positive change for public health, but, you know, by incorporating these different people into these, into the ski industry or outdoor industry, into the environmental industry, like you're, it's going to have like this, I feel like this like innovative change of these, of these spaces, right? It's going to, not only will we have more participation, but also potentially these people could bring in, you know, better ideas or ideas that would also uh, strengthen the environment conservation movement. Uh, So it can add on and expand and maybe potentially do things better than what is going on now. And, you know, I think we talked about parallel to a professional sports of like the NBA and NFL, you know, mm-hmm. that after they're you know, more African-Americans started playing those sports, you know, that the effect that ha- that had on that on that sport or that industry was tremendous. Right. Changing Huge. like rules, changing the the the, the uniform, changing the shoes, changing the style oh. of how people play. Right. It's going to I think it's going to happen it's going to be great for the sport. It, it was great for the sport, right? So if we can see that happening in the snow sports industry, like, yo, it's going to, it's going to not only make it more diverse, but it's also going to help the sport progress or these activities progress into realms we don't really know yet. Really, really strong points. I love the public health angle. I've never thought of that. It's such a good idea. It's, it's, it's dead on too. We get more people out here we're going to have better public health and people could be, have a really good opportunity to make themselves healthier, uh, the environmental angle. And then, yeah, exactly. I agree. Cause we'd spoken about that before with the NFL NBA have done just embrace that culture. And now I'm, I, I'm pretty confident that they really cater to that culture. Right. It, it's so important to have African-Americans, especially specifically feel comfortable uh, because they are representing your sport really, really well. Uh, and on the highest level. And we can do that in the ski industry as well. And, and and we also talked about, you know, there's already examples out there. We've got Chloe Kim, you know, the amazing snowboarder in the half pipe. We've got Zeb Powell, uh, amazing African-American snowboarder. Uh, we've got these people that are already crushing. We don't have to go looking for them. They're already there. We just need to get them out there celebrate them more, publish them more, uh, get their stories out there more. 
So, um, wow. Yeah, thank you. Uh, terrific ideas. I love the public health and the environmental aspects of that. That is that is awesome. And kind of within all of that, uh, you guys are a piece of that. You're bringing, you know, you're bringing people of color to the mountains. Where you're getting these folks up there, getting them all the, the resources they need. What do you think is the future of, of Vamanos Outside and programs like yours? In the near future, we would just like to see to create a few more programs and kind of solidify our current programs and make them really, really strong with a, a high quality, you know, and like we talked about, like not you know, being big, too big, but mm-hmm. we want to expand a little bit more. But definitely, I mean, right now it's only Eddie and I really full time doing it almost pretty much almost everything. And that's, you know, very draining. And uh, we have other hobbies that we like to do, but we can't really get put a lot of effort into it because we're just so, so busy with, with, with almost outside. Yeah. So we like to hire a few more people to help us with delivering programs or managing, you know, the admin stuff of, of all of it. And I think that is, is going to happen. We just, you know, got to be patient and let that kind of manifest a little bit more. Yeah, so hopefully have more staff. That way we can serve more people in nearby in, in close near nearby cities and continue the work we'll be doing here in Bend and yeah, kind of expand more in Bend too. And I think you, I mean, I hope that ski area operators are listening because you know, I think ski areas could create programs like this within their organizations. And and if not, I think they can help foster and nurture programs in their local communities because I don't see a good reason why every ski community doesn't have something like this. So I really think you guys are ahead of the curve. I think you're ahead of your time. And I really want to make sure we all are supporting you and doing what we can to help you guys get what you need. Because I, you know, we talked about this before. Let's say there's a Vominos outside sort of, of, of organization in every ski town. These ski areas, they don't even have to deal with that side of things. They just hire you folks to do it. Um, so it, it'd be so cool to see you folks grow, to see other organizations like yours, or if not yours, move to other ski resorts. Uh, if every if every ski town had something like this, the ski area could just directly work with you, help you get the resources you need to make this happen. And again, it would be good for them in the long run. From just a purely business, cold, hard cash standpoint, it's the right thing to do. And then morally and ethically, it's even more right to do. So it's a win-win-win. So I, I think this, benefits. Yeah, everybody, everybody benefits. The community benefits, the resort benefits. Uh, you know, everybody is going to get a piece of this. So I, I love what you're doing. Uh, and, and I guess one of my big questions is, what can folks do to help? Do you guys accept donations? Uh, how, how, what, what can, what can our listeners do to help? Yeah, donations. We'll take, we take donations and, and you know, in the monetary form, is, um, that really helps. Uh, so we can have like money that we can just kind of do what we want with it and see how, how it fit instead of like using like grant money where there's a specific purpose it's mm-hmm. kind of frees up a lot of um gives a lot of independence and freedom to you know get like we talked about earlier get that kid and his brother attend punch pass so they can continue climbing um which then sparked you know the interest of continuing to climb so yeah donations are great gear is great putting the word out there. And then for me too, like the outdoor industry is just like a symptom was actually going on in our greater American society. All these issues we see like, like lack of diversity is happening in other realms of our, of our world, like the medical field and politics. So what I really want people to do is just to examine the systems or structures in place in our country. It's just a gateway to understand our American life. 
and to examine the lives of other people, of Latinos, of African-Americans, of Native Americans, because what we're seeing in the auto industry has its roots in oppressive and exclusionary um, practices in this country. And if you look deep, deep enough, you'll, you'll see that. And it's well-researched and it's, people have known about this for a long time, but we just, a lot of the time, people, people in the outdoors just choose to only look at it as we see it now. And so I just want to encourage people to, to dive deeper into those realms and just see what they come up with. Cause I'll, I think come out, they'll come out with a better understanding of why or yeah, why things are the way they are now. Yes. I think that 400 plus years of systemic racism doesn't flip itself overnight. We need people who are willing to take it on head, head on uh, like you folks are. So I hugely appreciate, uh, I, I think I could say, you know, for most of our listeners, we appreciate what you folks are doing and we want to see you grow and we want to see this thing succeed and we want to see it expand and we want to see something like this in every ski town. And we want to see the ski areas working with you folks to help make this happen because it is so important for our future of our ski industry for for just creating more diversity and that diversity is going to create so many good things you know what we talked about here today it's going to create new ideas uh, that could be great ideas that could really propel us in the right direction it's going to help us with public health it's going to help us with the environment it's going to help us keep this industry alive and it's going to help us culturally it's so many good things would come from this so thank you so much and thank you for bringing all that up uh, so my, my last question really here is, what's next for you? What's next for you and your journey? For me, I uh, recently started a, a uh, enrolled in a graduate study program. So wow. gaining my master's in outdoor experiential education. So essentially wow. what I'm doing now, I just want to understand the philosophies and, uh, and methods of it a little bit more um, and how to apply, how to apply that to, to how, and how it intersects with like race and, and all that. Yeah, and I don't know where that's going to lead me. I just really am just, that's like the most, the thing that's just on my mind right now. And yeah, it just helped me do my job way better. And then and after that, I see where my life takes me. Terrific. And how about you, Eddie? I think Wes and I talk talk about this all the time. I would love to leave VO, but once once it's ready to leave, once it's strong, right? I want to see it continue and be self-sustainable without us, right? That's when I know when we're successful. When the community is out there doing their own thing, they can do whatever they want, feeling welcomed and included. That's when I feel comfortable leaving VO. And then after that, I'm a photographer as well. I would love to continue taking photos and telling the stories of people of color in the outdoors. That's beautiful, man. I want to see that too. I want to see you guys blow up Fominos outside and then be on the advisory board, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> take on an important role, but you, know, you don't have to be there every day. So I, we appreciate what you guys do. Wes and Eddie, that's all I've got for you today. Do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share here at the end of the show? Yeah. Uh, I mean, going back to your question of how people can support us, people always ask that. Uh, well, first and foremost, continue to listen to us and hear our stories. Uh, support us by spreading the word. Tell people change is coming. And here's why it's important. You can also follow us on our Instagram at vamonos underscore outside. That's V-A-M-O-N-O-S underscore outside. And you can also follow my personal Instagram at eddie.sup. That's E-D-D-Y dot S-U-P. No, I just want to thank everyone for listening and um, being receptive of our of our uh, stories and our what we have to say. You know, not it's not all the time where people 
want to hear what we have to say. Sometimes people get a little defensive and yeah, we just appreciate everyone, you know, because we're all in, under the same under the same impression that we just want to snowboard and ski and have winter and all that, right? So it all, we're all part of the solution. So just, you know, yeah, thank want to thank everyone for, for uh, listening today. We're all just Thanks human all beings. Yeah, we're all just human beings who like to go outside. Come on. Exactly. Uh, we're yeah, on the same exactly, team. Yeah, yeah can, you know, consider Snowbrains a media partner. Anytime you guys have anything you want to push out, send it to me. I'll get it up. Wes and Eddie, it was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you, you too. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to the Snowbrains podcast. If you liked this podcast, please share with your friends and family and please subscribe. To find out more about Snowbrains, please visit us at snowbrains.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Snowbrains. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by your Northern California Toyota dealer. Family fun adventures begin at Palisades Tahoe, and the best way to get there is in the Sequoia TRD Pro Hybrid. The iForce Max Twin Turbo V6 Hybrid Engine packs a punch with 437 horsepower while still giving you up to an EPA estimated 22 miles per gallon. That's amazing. So you can feel the power without feeling it at the pump. It's made for adventure and made for the mountain. Visit buyatoyota.com NorCal for more details and start your next adventure in a brand new Toyota, the official vehicle of Palisades Tahoe. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Alta Ski Area, home of the biggest average annual snowfall in the Rocky Mountains. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast was edited by Jared White, music by Chad Crouch, and I'm your host, producer, and creator, Miles Clark.